Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks again and enjoy today's message from Pastor Jim Kubik. We are going to finish our series in Ephesians 4 today. We've been for four weeks, counting this week in Ephesians 4, just talking about what it means to get up and grow, which is the title of the sermon series, to get up and grow. We started with get up and grow in unity, and then we went, because the Bible talks in the first part of Ephesians about the necessity of unity in the body of Christ, get up and grow up because God has equipped us with offices so that we may be capable of performing the work of the ministry, get up and grow useful, because as we put on the old, the new self, by taking off the old self, we become useful. And in our usefulness, and what I intend to talk about today, we should move from usefulness to fruitfulness. The whole point of being useful is to be fruitful. Amen? And so we're going to talk today, get up and grow fruitful. And we're going to do that out of chapter 4 of Ephesians 25 through 32, where again, I'll be finishing up this series. And so last week we talked about, and let me just go over this briefly, we talked about the importance of taking off the old self and putting on the new self. That our new self should be marked by righteousness, and in our righteousness be useful. Amen? We are new creatures according to the Word of God. Did you hear what I said? If you're a new creature, you should act like a new creature. You're not who you used to be. Stop acting like who you used to be. We are new creatures according to the Word. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone, everyone say anyone, is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Old things away, new things have come. This is the expectation that God has of us as we give our life to the Lord. That because he has made us new, we should act as though we are new. Because we are new. Amen? And so, all of us, all new creatures, should bear the fruit of righteousness. Because everything that bears fruit, bears fruit from its own kind. Listen to that. Everything that bears fruit, bears fruit from its own kind. This is true both physically and spiritually. Genesis chapter 1, 11 says, Then God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit after their own kind. You know what you don't see? You don't see people picking apple trees off peach trees. Because everything bears fruit according to its kind. If that's true in the physical, which it is, it's also true in the spiritual. You should bear fruit according to the kind of fruit that you are, according to the root that is in you. Luke chapter 6 reads it like this, starting in verse 43. For there is no good tree which produces bad fruit, nor on the other hand a bad tree which produces good fruit. And here it is. For each tree is known by its own fruit. Did you catch that? You're going to be known by the fruit you produce. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they pick grapes from a briar bush. The good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good. That's the fruit that he's bearing. And the evil man, because he has an evil fruit, 
Out of the evil treasure brings forth that which is evil, for his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. He produces who he is. We produce who we are. We produce other human creatures because we are human creatures. It's the fruit that we produce. Amen? I'm, I'm spending time here. I'm camping here because the whole thesis of what we're going to talk about today is how you should be fruitful. And you should be fruitful not according to your own understanding or according to your own liking or your own proclivities. You should be fruitful according to the Word of God and what the Word of God tells us fruitfulness should look like. And our fruitfulness should look like Jesus. But you're proven in your fruit. Many of us have made confessions, or many people, maybe not us, but many people have made confessions of Christ and think that that's enough. Let me tell you, if your confession didn't produce fruit in you, your confession probably wasn't a confession. Because you should be different after your confession than you were before your confession. Now, I'm not talking about an overnight, magical, you're going to be 100% different. But I'll tell you, I was saved in 2006, and I'm a different person than I am now than I was then. And I'll be different in five years than I am right now because that is the pursuit of righteousness. This is walking out Christ's likeness, the purpose or the function of sanctification in our life. How do I become holy? I chase after Jesus who is holy. I learn what Jesus looked like because Jesus was holy. And in being holy, I produce good fruit. Everybody with me? But it takes more than a declaration. How many of you guys have kids? Saw a kid on TV or something. All right. If you've ever seen a kid on TV, you know kids have incredible imaginations. They make confessions of everything. They declare all kinds of stuff. They declare, little girls declare, I raised two little girls, and so I say I raised two little girls. Angela raised two little girls. I just happened to be in a room. It was pretty cool. Right, And they declare stuff like, I'm a princess. And to them, they're a princess. They're a princess right then. Or they declare, I'm a unicorn. Because princess unicorn is no difference in their imagination. If that's what they think they are, that's what they are. Little boys think of stuff like, I'm a fireman, I'm a policeman. I know that somebody's saying here, that's sexist. Women can be firemen. Just go with me. But you know what I've learned is that those children, our children, only make those declarations while they're focused on those declarations. It's a matter of time before they get bored being a princess, people bored being a unicorn, get bored being a fireman or a police officer, and then they declare themselves to be something else. Sadly, the church is in the same place. Many of us have declared that we're Christian without actually being Christian. And once we get bored with being Christian or Christian people or the convenience of church or insert whatever caused you to slip away or do whatever it is you decided to do other than pursue Christ with everything that you are, what you've done is you've grown weary of that and started like a child determining or declaring that now I'm something else. Which means you probably weren't a Christian in the first place. Well, that's harsh, Pastor Jim. I come in here for Sunday for some loving. Well, you've been coming here for a while. You should know better. <laughs> I love you, but I have to love you by telling you the truth. If we're going to call ourselves Christian, then we have to act like Christian. If we're going to be Christian, we have to produce fruit that is Christ-like. Amen? So question is, how do I do that? 
in the text that I have today is a list of how to do that and what that looks like. And I'm going to get there eventually, but let me read Paul's summation of what fruitfulness looks like. In verse 25, he says, Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry, yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not give the devil an opportunity. And he who steals must steal no longer, but rather must be, he must labor, performing his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with one who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, and clamor and slander be put away from you. That means take that off. Remember we just talked about, take it off, put on Christ. To put that away means take that off, set that aside, walk away from that. Along with malice, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, that is compassionate, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Amen. So I'm going to make three points today. They're going to be pretty simple. They're going to be pretty fast. And if you're taking notes, here's the first one. Fruitfulness starts in the therefore. Fruitfulness starts in the therefore. We don't read our Bibles slow enough. There's a reason that therefore is there. This is the hinge point between thoughts. I just had this thought, and because of this thought, I need you to understand this. Therefore, do this. So our fruitfulness has to start in what we talked about last week, is that we are new creatures. We are new creations. We have to have taken off the old self and put on the new self. I told you guys last week that Jesus gave us his righteousness to wear. And it's in His righteousness that we should walk. Amen? Amen. That is the therefore. Paul begins this by drawing, by drawing our attention to the new self, that we are supposed to look like God. Not be God, because there's some false theology there, but we should look like God. We should mirror God. When people see us, they should see God. We should walk in righteousness and holiness. Am I using any words that are confusing anybody? Because some of y'all staring at me like you've never heard any of this stuff before. Righteousness and holiness. We have to look like God. In our new self, we should look exactly opposite our old self. Because I'm going to tell you something. You're not primarily physical beings. You're primarily spiritual beings. And your spirit man should change when you make a true confession of Christ and start chasing after him according to the word. That's what the therefore is saying. Take off, put on. Walk in holiness and righteousness as God is holy and righteous. We talked about Sunday or Wednesday. Be holy for I am holy. This is the expectation that God has for us in the therefore. Be holy as I am holy. Now this is what holiness looks like. This is what fruitfulness looks like. What does fruitfulness look like? Number two, I told you these are going to come hard and fast. Number two, to be fruitful is to be like Christ. 
Pastor Jim, I don't know what I should do. Read your Bible. Do what it says. It's my pastor's favorite line. Read your Bible. Do what it says. It's his favorite sermon. Read your Bible. Do what it says. If I'm going to be fruitful, I have to bear fruit from my own kind. And my own kind, if I've given my life to Jesus, should be Jesus. It says that Jesus himself was a perfect example of God. What marked him? What defined him? What caused him to do what he did? What motivated him? These are the questions we should ask ourselves. The fact that he came here so that we might walk in holiness. Holiness as exampled by him as he exampled God to us. The book of John says, if you've seen me, you've seen my father. I want you to pay attention here. I'm going to run a chain for a second. If you've seen me, you've seen my father. Book of Colossians, Paul says, for, I, for Jesus was the invisible image of God. You know what that means? That means if you saw Jesus, you saw God. You want to know what God looks like? Look at Jesus. That's what Jesus looks like. His authority, his, that's what God looks like. His authority, his strength, his power, his sovereignty. This is what God looks like. If you'll read the word, see Jesus in it, that's what God looks like. That's awesome. What does that mean to me? Just as Jesus was the invisible, was the image of the invisible God, you should be the image of the risen Christ. Did you hear what I said? That's why Paul was so confident in saying, follow me as I follow Christ. Because he knew he was living according to Christ. Jesus came to show us what God looks like we should live to show others what Jesus looks like. If people look at you and see other, anything other than the Jesus in you, you need to work on how you're presenting Jesus to them because we are the, the image of the risen Christ as he is the image of the invisible God. That's good preaching right there. Y'all, somebody should have wrote that down. <laughs> Why is it important? It's important because you need to know who you are. You are an image bearer of the glory of God. People say, why does God care so much about sin? Because every time you present something other than the image of God to the people you should be declaring the image of God to, you tarnish in their eyes the glory of God. And let me tell you, he has a right to be divinely angry about that. Amen? All right. So we're supposed to look like Christ. What did Christ say we're supposed to look like? He said we're supposed to look like salt and light. Matthew chapter 5. Let me find it here real quick. It says, you are the salt of the earth. This is Matthew 5, 13. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Now, I've been told a thousand reasons why, a thousand things you can do with salt. But can I tell you, during biblical times, early church times, there was one primary reason for salt to exist. And it wasn't to flavor your food. It wasn't to do anything crazy. It was to preserve meat from decay. You exist as salt on the earth, 
to keep the world and the people in it from, de from decay by declaring the truth of Jesus Christ to them. You are the salt of the earth. You are to seize decay by declaration of the truth. And you can't do that if you're not exhibiting a life that is truthful. If you are, if you are exhibiting a life that is in itself decay. But then he says beyond that, you're not only salt, you're light which means not only are you supposed to stop the decay, but the best way to do that is to reflect the glory of God. If I could stop the sermon right there, probably as good a place as any, because I could ask you just to go home and meditate on the fact, what is your salt doing and what does your light look like? Because if you're willing to be tasteless, if you're allowing the decay around you to stop because it's become uncomfortable for you, or to continue because it's become, it's become uncomfortable for you to say something, then guess what? You might as well be trampled underfoot because God didn't place you here as tasteless salt. He's, he placed you here as salt intent on stopping decay to reflect the glory of God to the people who don't know him. If God didn't intend for you, if God didn't intend for us to be salt and light in the world, I am absolutely convinced that he would have killed us when he saved us because we would be useless to him after that. We're here to glorify God in everything we do and make sure other people come to know him. It's the purpose of the ministry of reconciliation. That's what fruitfulness looks like. We have to look like Jesus. Amen? Amen. And looking like Jesus looks like something specific, which is point number three, the marks of Christ-like fruitfulness. What did Jesus look like? What marked him? I don't mean physically what he looked like. Who knows? I'm pretty sure he wasn't a Caucasian. But what marked him as the Christ? First, in verse 25, it says this, Therefore, we're laying aside falsehood. Speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor. For me, we are members with one another. So it says, don't lie but speak the truth. You want to bear good fruit? Don't lie. Stop lying. You know why? Because God's not a liar. You want to reflect God? You better reflect God properly. And proper reflection of God says that you tell the truth. You don't lie. Numbers 23, 19 says this, God is not a man that he should lie, nor son of man that he should change his mind. He has said, and will he not do it? Which is a rhetorical question, because if he said it, he will do it. Or has he spoken and he will not make it good, which is also a rhetorical question, because if he spoke it, he has to do it, because he's not a God that he should lie or a son of man that should change his mind. This should bring us incredible comfort because God can't lie to us. God has no intent to lie to us or to change his mind, which means if he ever, listen to me, those of you guys that are self-condemning, if God has ever loved you ever in all the history of the universe, he loves you right now. If God ever determined to take care of you, he wants to take care of you right now. If he's ever been your protection, he's your protection right now. If he's ever been your provision, he's your provision right now. Whatever it is he is, he always will be. He cannot lie to you, 
and he will not change his mind over you, which means what promises there are in the word of God over your life are true today as they are tomorrow, the next day, the next day, the next day. We need to take comfort in the fact that we serve a God that cannot lie to us and has not changed his mind. He didn't wake up one day and go, you know what, that Jim Cubic man, I liked him yesterday. He's kind of getting on my nerves today. I don't think I'm going to like him anymore. And we laugh because we're all, <laughs> that silly guy would never do that. And yet we say we reflect the image of Christ and we do it. We can't do that. If we're going to be Jesus, we got to act like Jesus. If we're going to act like Jesus, we got to act like Jesus. If he can't change his mind, if he's not going to lie to us, then we shouldn't change ours. We shouldn't lie to other people. They should say, if Jim says he'll do it, will he not do it? Those should be rhetorical questions for every Christian. Hmm, that's a good preacher right there. Why do we lie? That's really the question. If we're not to lie, we're to tell the truth, why do we lie? This is why we lie. Because we have done something to make us uncomfortable in an environment we were previously comfortable in. Let me explain what I mean. I go to my boss. My boss comes up to me. I'm comfortable at work. Everything's going well. I didn't meet my quota. He asked me, did you meet your quota? I want to stay comfortable in an environment that I caused un myself to be uncomfortable. Knowing I didn't meet my quota, I said, yeah, I met my quota. I've just lied for no other reason than to ensure that I stay comfortable in an environment that I made uncomfortable. People's, people get hung up, they cheat on their spouse. Their spouse finds out about it. Did, did you cheat on me? Well, you're going to go, no, I didn't cheat on you. Why? Because you did something that caused your environment to be uncomfortable, but you want to maintain your comfortability, so you lie. Can I tell you? I'm telling you this definition and why I think people lie for this reason. Because God is the truth, which means he never has to be uncomfortable because he defines what truth is. And if he's never been uncomfortable, there's no reason for him to lie. You're all, well, I don't like that he said that. It doesn't matter. He's God. I don't like the way he defined that. It doesn't matter. He's God. There's no uncomfortability in him, uncomfortability in him because he is God. And because there's no uncomfortability in him, he will not lie to you. We serve a profoundly comfortable God. Does everybody understand? We have to, the reason I bring it up, we have to get to a place where we're okay being uncomfortable and telling the truth. Well, so-and-so ain't going to like me. I can't find anything in the Scripture that says, tell the truth unless somebody's not going to like you. It says, tell the truth. Be the truth. You have to declare God to them because God is the truth. Jesus Christ is the truth. The Word of God is the truth, and the Word of God is Christ Jesus, inspired by the Holy Spirit. We just run that circle all day. But it's a powerful and profound truth that we need to grab a hold of. Not only that, though, it says, speak the truth with your neighbor. Verse 25. For we are members of one another. Speak the truth with your neighbor. Hmm. We have to. At the very beginning of this series, we talked about unity. If I can't tell you the truth, we can't walk together. We can't be unified. 
And if we can't be unified, we can't, as a church, glorify God. Walk in the truth. Don't lie. Secondly, in verse 26 and 27, it says, it says this. Wait a minute. Yeah, 26 and 27. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And do not let the devil give it, get an opportunity. And this messes me up. Because I struggle with anger. You do too. Jesus got angry. Jesus got profoundly angry. Can I tell you that? Jesus wasn't a pacifist. Jesus got profoundly angry. He flipped tables. He called the, the pastors of the time vipers, told them that they were whitewashed tombs with dead men's bones in them. You know what? That's like somebody coming into the sanctuary here and turning our welcome booth over, and then not just turning it over, but then coming up here, moving me out of the way because I'm not doing the right thing, and start talking to y'all anyway. What do you think I'd do if somebody did that? I'd lose my mind. God would literally have to say, man, that's, that's me. You need to calm down. There's about 10 guys in here that got my back. That dude would have a bad day. But Jesus, because he walked in the truth and wasn't willing to lie to them, was able to display his anger without sinning because his anger was righteous. There's no place in Scripture, or at least I challenge you to find a place in Scripture, where Jesus or God were mad for any other reason then someone was destroying the glory of God or trying to. So question then is, when can I be angry? I can be angry when the righteousness of God or the glory of God is being maligned in my presence because that will never be sinful. Amen? Jesus was radically defensive of God's glory, and so should we. But then it goes on to say, and do not give the devil an opportunity. I'm sorry. Be angry. Do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. How many of you guys have heard that in regard to your spouse? Y'all need to stay up all night if you need to. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. But you know what? Ephesians wasn't written to spouses. Ephesians was written to the church. What's he saying? He said, don't allow the bitterness. Don't let... Don't let the anger in you create bitterness in you. Because when you get angry at someone but don't deal with it, it creates bitterness in you. And bitterness in you will create disunity in the church, and disunity in the church will destroy the church, the very thing Christ gave his life for. And if you want to stand at the throne of God and give an account for that, be my guest, but it ain't going to happen today. Not with me. Or at least not because you weren't declared the truth to we have to deal with our problems quickly, like adults. We go to church, we start turning into 12-year-olds. Well, so-and-so hurt my feelings. Who cares? I'm convinced that sometime today I've probably hurt your feelings. But if I hurt your feelings telling you the truth, then you need to figure out what kernel of truth there is in that and adjust your life accordingly. I, told, I had somebody tell me one time, don't be mad when people critique you. I was like, why not? Because in every critique, there's a kernel of truth. Your job is to find that kernel of truth in the critique and deal with it. 
And he says, so that the enemy doesn't get a foothold. Man, so many, so many people have, the devil has a foothold in the lives of so many and in so many churches because we determine that we're going to be angry about nothing and hold that anger to bitterness and that bitterness to disunity. And we wonder why the enemy has more influence in our house than God does. Mm. Come on, somebody. Then he says, be angry, but don't be unrighteous. Don't take, but give. Verse 28, and he who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with one who has need. Jesus was a laborer. You understand that, right? Pre-ministry, that brother was an artisan. He was a craftsman, a woodworker, probably a stonemason. He knew what it meant to work. We should be people who work. After his earthly ministry started, he labored. He labored in ministry, in prayer, in suffering. He labored in the ultimate burden that he carried to the cross. He labored in the Garden of Gethsemane. He knew what it was to labor so that he could have something to give. Our responsibility is to labor so that we can have something to give. That's not just physically, physically labor so that we might be able to give financially. That's you must labor in all things so that you can have something to offer or something to give someone in need. That talent that you have, that doesn't belong to you. God gave you that so you could have that to give to somebody else. That time, that don't belong to you. God gave you that so you could use that time to, find, to help somebody else. But we pack our calendar so full, we got time for nobody else. Let me tell you, I'm going to put you in on a ministry secret. It's going to blow your mind, change your whole world. You ready? Ministry happens in your, in your margin, not your calendar. We pack our calendar so full that we don't have time to help anyone. You're all past somebody on the interstate. Say, Man, if I wasn't in such a hurry, if I didn't have to get somewhere in seven minutes, I'd help that single woman on the side of the road broke down. How about you leave 20 minutes early? That way, if you see a single woman broke down on the side of the road, you have an opportunity to minister to her. We have to labor so that we have something to give. We should always consider that Jesus gave. We should also give. Amen? Finally, verse 29 through 32. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for the edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. That's a big, huge list of stuff. Essentially, he's saying like this. He said, listen, if you're going to be like Jesus, if you're going to bear the fruit of Jesus, you've got to walk in love, man. We need to learn to walk in love. It starts out by talking about let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only that which is good for the purpose of edification. What are you doing to help, to teach, to lift up the people around you? Is your voice seasoned by grace or bitterness? Because what's in your gut, what's in your heart is going to come out of your mouth. Who are you? Who do you belong to? 
What declaration have you made? Who have you put on? When we don't love well, we grieve the Holy Spirit. I know that sounds like super spiritual language. Let me tell you what that means. God put the Holy Spirit in you when you got saved. Did you know that? Jesus says, it's better that I go away so I can send the Spirit to you. So when you give your life to the Lord, you're given the Spirit of God for the purposes of sealing you for your day of redemption. This is the evidence that you belong to God. When I sin, my, I, I'm going to put it like this. One of my primary motivations for not sinning is because I know the Spirit of God has been placed within me, and every time I do sin, I drag the Spirit along with me. And I don't want to live with that. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. And if you're not going to grieve the Holy Spirit, then you have to set all this stuff aside. The malice, the anger, the slander. Set it all aside. Love people. Love one another well because Jesus loved us well. The best fruit you can bear is to love one another. It says this. Be kind to one another. Tenderhearted, which means compassionate, forgiving. Be kind, compassionate, and forgiving. Imagine if the church determined or set its heart on doing these three things. Be kind. Well, I don't like them. I didn't ask that question. God didn't ask you if you liked them. Be compassionate. Reach out to them in your mercy. And forgive them. Why would I forgive them? Because you're told to. Well, I don't want to. I didn't ask. Matter of fact, the Bible says if you're not willing to forgive, you won't be forgiven. How hypocritical it is of us to expect God to forgive us of our divine rebellion when we won't forgive other people of just their regular rebellion. Why? Because Christ gave his life for us. Man, I want to bear good fruit. I want you to bear good fruit. That starts in Christ Jesus by asking yourself, what does Jesus look like? And then in determining what Christ Jesus looks like by an application of the word in your life, empowered by the Spirit of God in your life, you can take off the old self and put on the new self. That's the challenge, amen? To get up and grow. To move from where you were to where God would have you. And you'll get there at some point in your future. That's the great hope. Amen? Amen. My prayer for you is that you consider that question. What marks the life of Jesus? And how how is my life marked differently? Let us pray. Father God, in Jesus' name, we love you and thank you for the opportunity that we've had to get into your word. God, I'm not sure I did it much justice, but I ask that that you use it for your glory. God, if there's anybody in this room who doesn't know you or isn't living according to the standards your word sets out for us, I ask, Heavenly Father, that you move on them, that you move on me, because I still lack too. God, I thank you that you're gracious and patient, and that you've extended kindness and compassion to me, and that your observation didn't stop at observation of my sin, but you took it from me. God, I ask, that I, I ask that I am capable of bearing fruit. I ask that you show me how to bear good fruit 
And I ask the same for every person in this room. And not so that we can just be fruitful, but so that in our fruitfulness, we can be the salt and the light you've called us to be so that people can come to know who you are. Let us always be mindful that people watch us. And in watching us, my prayer is that they see you. We worship you, Lord, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.